0: Welcome to Healthcare du jour where we dish up and digest the latest in healthcare. For the next 30 minutes, sit back as we bring you insight, commentary, and discussion on trending topics to the table, all expertly served up by our host and his guests. Healthcare du jour is brought to you by Carium, the telehealth platform enabling healthcare's digital transformation, helping you care for people within the fabric of their daily lives. Now, here's your host, Matt Fisher. Welcome back, and thank you for joining as we dive into the hottest topics in healthcare. I'm your host, Matt Fisher. On the menu today is Matt Dixon, Senior Vice President at SteriCycle Communications Solutions. Matt, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Excited about the conversation today. <laughs> so Matt, what I always like to do before getting into the main part of my conversation is to give my guests a chance to provide more of an introduction in terms of who they are and what they do. So the floor is yours. Well, as you said, I'm the Senior Vice President of uh,
1: Product Strategy and also the General Manager of Communication Solutions. We're the division within Stericycle that focuses on patient engagement. So we're a pretty unique combination of both people, tools, and technology, kind of unique in the space to have such just kind of breadth of offerings uh, that really encompass all of
0: those things. Yeah, so kind of before getting more into what that means in terms of the communications and the engagement I'm also always curious, what first got you into the healthcare industry?
1: Well, I can't say it was by design. I, I just happened to, out of college, and up working in a place that actually worked for healthcare payers, uh, doing both coordination of benefits and segregation and had many, many different roles over the years there. I joined Stericycle um, almost at three years now, so July of 2019. And really shifted over to the provider side. I think what excites me most about healthcare is I have a background in data analytics. So it's a nice convergence of opportunities to use those kind of skills, those data analytics skills, but also those people skills as well. I mean, uh, really, you know, there's very few industries that combine the challenges of healthcare that require that very disciplined a database approach to to how you do your work day in and day out but you have to do that and be mindful that people are people and that's who you're treating and and certainly I'm not a practicing physician but certainly we help or try to help those practicing physicians do a better job of engaging with those patients and making them feel comfortable so it's it's a it's a nice it's a neat place to be i think it sets well with the different skill sets i bring and it challenges me every day
0: yeah, and I think you know, listeners of the show have certainly heard me say this before, but I think getting into healthcare by accident and then finding the passion, uh, personally, I think that's the best way to go about doing it. Because if you've like your whole life have been thinking that this is exactly what I want to get into, uh, you know, I, I think the industry has a way of giving uh, some unpleasant surprises in terms of yeah. what it's actually like <laughs> once you're into the real business of it. Yeah,
1: we, we came in with the reality and learned to love it. Let, to your point, I think some people may come in with the... the grandiose ideas and find out that unfortunately, uh, you know, it's not as perfect as it seems, but it's a fun place to be. I'll say that much.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that you were just talking about in terms of the background, you know, of your experience, it sounds very interesting is I think you said you were primarily on the payer side of, uh, the world up until joining Stericycle. And now being on the care delivery side, so what you know, what challenges have you seen of trying to align the different perspectives that might that each of those players might have, and also maybe where have you been able to find common ground that it, people who haven't been able to bridge the two sides might not recognize exist?
1: Yeah, I think that you know the the challenges I think is the approaches they take. I, like I talked about, you know, I've got a data analytics background. I think when you're looking at a practitioner. The, their primary concern is people-based, right? They're, they're trying to find the care plan that makes the most sense for the individual uh, without necessarily having to think about, um, you know, uh, uh, How does that work, you know, in in, in a generalized population, for example, right? Where on the payer side, of course, they're much more data driven, right? They're trying to find uh, uh, evidence-based care protocols that are more generalizable, more sustainable, uh, where I think your common practitioner, you know, they, they certainly... Would look to take, you know, prescribe a medication uh, that may be cost prohibitive against a general population where a payer, for example, isn't probably going to approve that that kind of approach, right? Uh, But at the end of the day, the the common theme is they're just trying to best um, create general health and wellness for as large a percentage of the population as they can in a sustainable
0: way. Yeah, kind of, I think as you're saying there, it's, you know, they're both trying to get to the same end goal, right? but looking at it on two different scales, exactly. which kind of makes sense because, you know, I think as you are saying, the payer side has a much broader population that it's going to be considering. Whereas, you know, when you get down to the individual clinician level, they're looking at their patient population or maybe potentially the, the population served by their whole practice. Uh, but it is very different scale, so it's you know kind of trying to find ways to get everyone working together because uh, you I think you do need to mesh both of those uh, perspectives
1: absolutely agreed
0: so the other thing that you're talking about is kind of this communications and patient engagement. so you know obviously two extremely broad kind of topical areas, but can you start trying to break it down a little bit for us, and you know kind of when you're talking about communication, you know what forms of communication are you looking at? Yeah, so for us, you know, our focus is, on, um, uh, like we
1: said, which makes us a little unique in the industry, not only live voice agents, but digital components, SMS, email, we do outbound IVR, uh, certainly the one area we don't dabble in, but uh, a very, uh, an area of a lot of interest, of course, in healthcare today is social media as well, right? Uh, that, that channel is becoming more and more prevalent and more and more important, Uh, But really, when you look at communication, I think the difference between the two is communication is sending out information and responding to that engagement is getting people to take action, right? So how do you go from interest to intent to action? And that's really what the journey is about between communication and
0: engagement. So how do you start um, to get people to engage then? Because I think it's, you know, well, I, I know this is going to be a very gross oversimplification, but communication, I think a lot of people would think it's easy to send out a lot of information, but then how do you actually drive you know, someone taking action, as you said?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, it's, it's the million-dollar one. <laughs> and I think for us, uh, you know, our focus, a lot of it is on individualizing that communication to make it more relevant. Uh, certainly is a big part of that uh, equation. I think the other part of that equation that's critically important is embedding those calls to action uh, right in that communication and making it as convenient as possible to take those next steps, right? So we want to kind of lay out a clear path for your next steps, not just generalize next step, but your next steps. And also give you a way to, as easy as possible, take that next step in your journey. And I think that's the key to to successful uh, patient activation or engagement.
0: So is it fair to say then that it's a blending of kind of universal type information or or maybe broader population style information, but then refining that down into kind of personal messaging that relates uh, kind of the broader packet of information down to each person? Yeah, I'd say it's a distillation process, right? So uh, certainly we all know
1: broad, for example, I'm getting ready to turn 49, closing in on 50 here, right? So, uh, the, you know, things like in general, colonoscopies are, are things that I now I have to think about that historically I haven't, um, you know, the question becomes certainly you can send that broad communication out to your patient population based just on age, for example, and, and gender. But how do you refine that to make it more meaningful to me? Uh, I I spoke to you, I have a background in data analytics, so I'm much more likely to respond to something that's data driven in nature, right? A communication that may say, hey, do you know that people that start to get colonoscopies at age 50 have a 35% reduction in cancer rates, right? Where others may not find that impact more meaningful to them, right? They may uh, be serviced by a more emotional type of messaging. Um, did you know, you know, ensure that you're um, healthy and around for your children and their grandchildren for years to come? Click here to schedule a colonoscopy, for example. So that's what I we mean when individual. It can not only be, uh, you know, to us we look at a really kind of only four things you can change. The context in which you can send the message, right, which a lot of that's around timing. The content of the message itself. The channel in which you send it. And the cadence in which you send it. Those are the four things that you really, uh, as a health system, need to look at. And make sure you have a solid plan to not only look at one of those variables, which for a lot of people, it simply is the content of the message, right? Uh, But really all of those variables. And this is where, again, that kind of data focused um, approach, I think, is, is what makes it more impactful and really, again, changes it from just communication to true engagement.
0: And as you're looking at those four C's, and I really like that framing of it. You know, kind of what are the data inputs or surrounding information that you're looking for to kind of key in and hone um, so you're getting each of the elements uh, you know a- as accurate or um, as um, you know, refined as possible
1: Yeah so for us it's really collaborative with the health system. Uh, so of course you're looking for medical uh, and background information about the individual core mobilities, Uh, about the individual, current health conditions they're being treated for, past health conditions they're being treated for, other ancillary conditions they're being treated for. Uh, Certainly demographics is a driver of a lot of that. Um, You know, age, gender, uh, et cetera. Um, Preference is a big part of that as well. Uh, One thing we do talk about often, though, is uh, in a lot of instances, what you'll find is the channel of preference isn't necessarily a channel of activation. Those two things can wildly differ. You may have somebody who's explicitly telling you, I want you to email me. I want you to email me. That's the that's the method of communication for me. And you email them to death and it doesn't get anywhere. And you send them an outbound text with a link to schedule and boom, now you've got some activation, right? So the other part of that is just uh, good Uh, evidence-based A-B testing, right, Uh, to to look at what are the channels that are actually inducing activation, Um, but not only at that generalized population
0: type level, but as individual as possible. Yeah, and kind of with that example you just gave of that you can have that misalignment or disconnect between an, an individual's kind of channel of preference versus the actual channel of activation, you know, is there any fear that if you stray from what the state of preference is that you could turn someone off or is that kind of part of the AB um, component that you're uh, testing a point that you were just talking about?
1: Yeah, certainly I think there is that fear, right? Cause you're dealing with people that can unenroll from your communication at any time, right? So we always make sure we have methods to allow people to do for that. Um, it's part of that AB testing. Uh, one of the things we talk about is what we call our escalating protocol which is instead of banging our head against the wall, using the same method of outreach that isn't being effective for an individual or population to change the channel and see. So you're you're typically starting in their channel of preference, but moving on from that when you're not seeing the results, right? So uh, I do think you got to tread carefully, but you got to weigh the benefits, of course, uh,
0: against that risk. And when you're looking at the different kind of channels, how do you measure what qualifies as a successful uh, outreach?
1: Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, for us, again, often we're embedding some sort of call to action within that communication. So for us, the ultimate measure is, did you do something? Did you book an appointment, right? Did you go to a certain diagnostic procedure? Uh, Did you, um, you you can even do it with things like um, health and wellness type classes, right? A healthy cooking class, for example. So certainly for us, the measure uh, of activation or success is taking that next action that we're trying to get you to do, or um, it can even be more granular. Uh, For example, you know, one of the things we do as well is make sure people have preparation instructions for their upcoming appointment. So it's not only making sure that you know people book the appointment, but that they show up and show up prepared. Right? Uh, there's nothing worse for the consumer and the healthcare provider for you to show up at appointment and maybe there was a necess- necessity for you to fast, for example, and you didn't. Well, now the uh, now we got to schedule another appointment, you know, get you set up on that. Uh, so certainly uh, you can measure success in any number of different ways. But uh, primarily, it's did somebody take that action and did they actually
0: follow through on that action? Yeah, know, that last example is a great one, because as you said, it's you know, if you're not communicating the appropriate information, even if you're getting someone to act upon it or at least act upon a component of it, if you don't get the whole picture, you're just going to drive frustration and kind of waste additional time or require the additional time to be incurred. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, and, you know, that's the
0: the, uh, scourge of healthcare
1: today is wasted resources, right? So how do we make sure that resources are being deployed most effectively and, and really minimize that waste?
0: Yeah, and for those of you just joining, I'm talking with Matt Dixon of StoryCycle Communication Solutions, and we've been talking about kind of effective communication um, and how that relates to and can become transformed into patient engagement. And kind of, Matt, with a lot of the different strategies we're talking about, you know, I know you said your data analytics background helps inform, you know, kind of some of the, the processes that you take. But I'm wondering, like, how do maybe some outside forces, like you know, big technology or retail, you know, how are the, you know, how are the approaches taken in those spheres coming into and influencing communication and healthcare?
1: Well, I think what we're finding is there uh, certainly, changing uh expectations from consumers right i look at amazon i'm sure within probably on this call i'll get a notification on my doorbell from the front telling me i have a package waiting and i'll get a notification with amazon with a nice little picture of the package they just dropped off in my home right and being able to track that uh progress it's 10 stops away it's five stops away i think that's what consumers are wanting more and more and again the the key there is it doesn't feel like it's over communicating when it comes from Amazon because it's relevant to me, right? To me, not to, you know, Hey, there's deliveries in your area. No, your delivery is five stops away. Right. Um, And and I think that's what they're doing well uh, and really uh, influencing healthcare in general is that need for very individualized, concise, timely communication. Uh, and I expect we'll continue to see uh, patients demand uh, that kind of communication from their healthcare providers.
0: Yeah, and kind of as you said, with the increased both expectation and demand for that type of communication, what should the healthcare industry be doing to start making that a reality?
1: Yeah, I think the most important part is, of course, adopting tools, technology, and the expertise to do so. If there's one thing and one primary advantage you look at these non-traditional players have, and we're talking about, you know, you spoke about Amazon. The Amazon Care, for example, uh, they're going to start rolling out physical uh, locations. I think they're going to be in either 13 or 23 cities by the end of the year. Uh, Walmart's doing some things here as well. Um, they're digitally native, especially Amazon, right? So they know how to use that data uh, better than anyone. And what they do is they understand you as an entity better than a healthcare system does. Healthcare systems probably understand you better as an individual or person, right? Especially your primary care physician. But Amazon certainly understands you better as an entity. And what we typically do as uh, people, in my experience at least, is often that we conflate um, somebody knowing us with caring about us, right? So if you feel like Amazon knows you because maybe they're gonna even, as they go into healthcare, we may see the day uh, when they know you have a gluten sensitivity and they suggest when you're shopping through Amazon Fresh, hey, you might be interested in gluten-free bread, right? Now it's like, oh, they know me, they really care about me. Uh, No, it's they know you as an entity Uh, Not as individual, but uh, certainly they can use that knowledge and leverage it in a way to make it feel like or seem like they care about you more uh, than perhaps even your primary care physician has because they've got more touch points. They've got more opportunities to demonstrate that knowledge where, you know, someone like me, again, closing in on 50, I see my PCP once a year if things are going well,
0: right? Yeah, kind of with being able to bring together and, as you said, view an individual as an entity, Piecing together all these different aspects of your life, you know. At the same time, though, is there a balance that kind of needs to be struck? You know, because you know, well, as you're saying, it you can see it in Amazon or Google if you use Gmail or like pick your technology platform. You know, as it sees your activity, it gives you. You know, sometimes scarily accurate or even (laughs) prescient recommendations. Yeah. But that also seems to be driving somewhat of a backlash. So kind of, as you know, kind of to get back around to the question, I think that I was trying to ask is, you know, do you where do you see that balancing line of being accurate enough, but also not getting into the sphere of people feeling like they have no privacy left.
1: Yeah, uh, certainly that's a a delicate balance, right? Nobody wants to feel like Big Brother is watching. Uh, I think the keys there, again, go back to to your point that accuracy can work against you, right? Getting down to that super, super individualized level, uh, that can make it so scary accurate that it does feel like you've lost your privacy. So I I think the key there is, again, making it convenient as possible uh, for people to I wouldn't say opt out, right? Because that's that's certainly you want to avoid that at all costs. But to tailor that communication to say, "Hey, let's pull back a little bit here, right? This is I, I find value in this, but maybe you've gone a bit too far." And you, you know, you you see this again uh, in e-commerce all the time. If I unsubscribe from an email, one of the first things they ask me for before I unsubscribe is hey, can I just send this to you weekly? Does that fit better for you? Do you want me to only send you this kind of information and instead of all of this, right? They're trying to, in essence, induce you to update your preferences instead of unsubscribing generally to find that balance that works for you as an individual. So again, it's that feedback loop that's important, capturing that information. But also, again, it goes back to, Uh, not having blanket communication, but more individualized communication, uh, granularizing that communication enough that people can opt out of aspects of it without having to opt out of all of it. When you take this kind of one size fits all approach to a lot of communication, there is no ability to say, I want out of part of it. You're only left with, I want out of all of it. So I think that's important
0: as well. Yeah, and kind of under, as you said, just emphasize the importance of kind of creating more granularity within the messaging, you know, how is healthcare doing when it comes to, you know, that granularity or the segmentation, so that way, as you said, it's, you can get people to pick, you know, pick and choose, and I like how you said, you know, up, you know update and manage their preferences without just cutting out altogether.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, you've got kind of a a different tail based on the sophistication of the health system involved. Some of them are very, very well resourced and have the kind of resources dedicated to do that. Uh, Some, unfortunately, not as much. So uh, I think in those health systems that have that level of sophistication, they certainly are either doing it today or have strong plans to do so in the near future. Uh, so I think that you know, in the industry, the awareness exists today. And that's the first step in any journey, right? Is awareness. So I think that uh with certainty we can say the awareness exists and people are starting to march towards um uh, creating those kind of solutions. Uh, I think that um again, where the challenge can be is they've got the problem which many, many industries have, and that's why I say uh Places like Amazon have a marked advantage because they're digital first from the ground up. They have data in so many different silos. Bringing that together cohesively, I think, is uh, sometimes a struggle or problematic for them. And the reality is there's competing interests even within a health system. Uh, You know, you you talk about value-based care arrangements where some may drive, you know, or have penalties associated with excessive ER admissions, but some health systems find that is a actually good venue for patient acquisition, right? So how do you balance those competing priorities? Uh, that's that's a big, big challenge, but uh, they're, they're working through it. And I think the first step of it is awareness. The second is pulling that data together from disparate sources uh, into one consolidated resource, which can be used to influence that communication.
0: And kind of with that awareness growing, you know, have you seen the COVID-19 or any other recent events, you know, kind of furthering the the understanding that maybe some of this change needs to accelerate? Yeah, I mean, certainly. I I do look at, uh,
1: when you talk about the need for change, so we do an annual patient survey, and one of the things we actually found coming out of COVID is there was actually a 13% decrease in patient satisfaction. I can't say the word satisfaction today (laughs) with provider communications since the beginning of the pandemic and 37% of those respondents said they were not effectively communicated with about provider COVID-19 policies and procedures. So uh, certainly we are seeing satisfactions come down a little bit. Uh, I think that the COVID uh, pandemic highlighted much of that. And it's certainly as they shifted towards a digital first strategy for delivering healthcare, Certainly that uh, brought more awareness to um, uh, communicating uh, about a digital appointment uh, through di- digital means more
0: effectively as well. Yeah, and kind of as we, you know, as you said, that adoption use of digital means of care delivery has become more entrenched, you know, what do you see the better organizations or maybe the the more, the organizations more on the leading edge, you know, kind of, adopting and refining as they prepare for kind of this continued evolution? It's, you know, I don't even know if you can say the post-COVID world, but it's, you know, just the changed nature of how interaction occurs now. Yeah, I think what they're finding is they're still figuring
1: out where things are most effective, right? So if you look at telehealth in particular, You saw this wave, right? And we've seen that now start to come back down, but there's uh, certain areas where it's still being not only very effective, but well regarded uh, from a satisfaction perspective for patients. Uh, Primary among those are psychiatry. So telehealth uh, certainly is a strong foothold today in mental health uh, and the delivery of those services, and we'll continue to have that. Um, post-pandemic and well into the future, I think it will get even more prevalent in the future. Uh, Areas where they've seen some struggle is more where you've got to lay hands on somebody, right? To be an effective practitioner, uh, even down to general medicine, right? Every time I go to the doctor, they get my blood pressure, they take my temperature. Those things are very hard to do, obviously, in a telehealth appointment. So I think what they're trying to figure out is Again, backing away from that one size fits all approach to figuring out what pieces of the journey can be digital first and effectively treated and uh, become points of conclusion. Because really what happened during that transition is what we found out is um, a lot of the telehealth was just a step in the journey. Right. And not the actual end point or the decision point in the journey. And I think that created frustration. It's like, oh, I saw you virtually and you tell me I had to come in to see you. What was the point? Now we're figuring out, hey, there are certain pieces or or parts of that journey where you can deliver uh, healthcare very effectively for telehealth and make that the end point uh, as opposed to just another step in the
0: process. Yeah, no, that's a great description of it. I think, as you said, where, how can you bring it to the points of conclusion right. and identify you know, how, how the flow should work best? But Matt, believe it or not, we're already almost out of time. So I want to kind of close with one final question and just see if you can pull out a crystal ball and say, what do you think is going to be the next big change in healthcare as we continue to move forward? Well, I got to tell you, I'll pull out the, I'm sure I'll be wrong, but I think
1: it's healthcare in the metaverse. Uh, So I think we're going to see go beyond telehealth, right? So uh, we can imagine a world, you know, you talked about mental health uh, virtually. Uh, uh, I think it will be much more impactful when it feels like you're sitting in the same room, you're occupying the same space as that individual. So I do think we're going to see a big push there. And we're already seeing some of it. There's some interesting startups out there that are exploring things like digital twins to develop better treatment regimens, uh, and the first push for many of them is, again, in the, in the mental health care. So I think we'll
0: start there, but I certainly don't think we'll end there. Yes, no, it'll certainly be fascinating to track and keep an eye on. But as I said, believe it or not, we are out of time. I want to thank my guest, Matt Dixon, for a great conversation today. All right, great. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you to everyone listening. Keep the dialogue going and connect with me at hashtag H-C-D-E-J-U-R-E. I'm Matt Fisher. Until next time.